If you find Psalms, go back to the left. Go before Job, before Esther. You'll find three books together, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. But Nehemiah is where we're going this morning. Nehemiah chapter 2. Our memory verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What, what then shall we say to these things? And the list is how Christians feel like and often are led to the slaughter. It's just a uh, life is like a nightmare. But uh, Paul writes and he says, but if God be for us, who can be against us? In the end, uh, there's great encouragement in that verse, having courage. Having courage. And I'm going to talk to you about courage this morning. And I'm going to ask you a question. The question is just real simple. What do you want to do? You remember when you were a 14-year-old or 15-year-old, somebody might look at you and say, so what do you want to do with your life? And then you turn 16 and 17, and somebody says, what are you going to do with your life? And then you turn 29 and 30 and 31, and somebody says, what are you going to do with your life? Well, at some point, you've got to make a decision about what are you going to do. And I want to talk to you about the courage that Nehemiah had and a Christian needs to, um, to do the will of God. Nehemiah chapter 2, and, and just look at verse 4. Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, that's just really where the whole message comes from, where the king asks Nehemiah, so what do you want to do? And the whole, uh, and, and the whole point of this message here is when God pushes you to do something, what are you going to do? Because if you were left to your own devices and left to just do what you want to do, guess what you would do? Nothing, or as little as possible. So uh, let's... Um, Start off here with some thoughts. There's something amazing about someone who will throw away his chances for a great career and instead take on the burden of affliction, labor, sacrifice, and abuse. There's something amazing about somebody who will trade a life of ease for a life of burdens. And that's exactly what Nehemiah was about to do. He was basically going to risk everything he had carefully built and accomplished in his life he worked alongside the emperor of the world. He had one of the most enviable jobs you could ever want, and he was going to risk everything and throw it behind him. And he was going to do it so that he might build some things, so that he might repair some things that are far more important, far more valuable than the issues of a kingdom. To Nehemiah, I read this, I thought it was very true. To Nehemiah, the, the ruins of Jerusalem, which were much more attractive than the splendors of Shushan's palace. Get that. Think about it for a minute. Shushan, the palace where he lived and worked, the ruins of Jerusalem were much more beautiful to him. And it was so true with, with uh, Moses as well. It says Moa, Moses chose rather to suffer affliction than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So it is a challenge to the Christian to go, all right, where's my attention? What is, what is my heart settled on? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, I ask you to help me be a help to so many this morning who are here who need to hear from you. We don't want to hear platitudes or nice sayings. We want to hear the word of God. We need something that is true and right and eternal this morning from your book. And uh, Lord, um, I just ask that as I step back, you would step forward and that you would say what needs to be said. And that, Lord, more importantly, that the people in this room would hear what is being said. Not argue, not debate, but settle. There's some things that need to be done in the Christian life. I'm tired of Christians who get saved by faith but won't live by faith. You won't step out in courage because if you are for us, why are we so defeated? Why are we so hesitant? Why do we stop? Why do we stop doing what we should do when you have given us every reason and every, every opportunity for victory in this life, Lord? I pray that you would speak to hearts and there is a victory that is better than all and that's the victory over sin. Plenty of people in this room who know that they know that they know that Jesus has saved them. Gave them a new life. 
brought them from the from darkness into the kingdom of light. But there are people in this room who probably never once ever cried out to you and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. Never was honest with you. And today, maybe they would be, maybe they finally settle their eternal destiny just by faith. I pray that, Lord, some things would be built this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I need you to go to Hebrews chapter 13 and give you a sense of the heart of Hold your place in Nehemiah, but sense of the heart of Nehemiah. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 3. Hebrews, toward the end of your Bible. Chapter 13, verse 3. Remember them that are in bonds. Who, wouldn't, who would be in bonds? We're not talking about stocks and bonds, like in the investment world, but what kind of bonds would he be referring to? Somebody tell, tell me. Like in prison, uh, like in chains of slavery, there's still human trafficking going on in the 21st century. And, and we're going there. But here, Paul says, remember them who are locked away in bondage who are hurting they have no freedom here you are you're so free remember them as what as bound with them and and remember them which suffer adversity not everybody is in prison for doing right we're not talking about people who are in prison for doing wrong we're talking about people who have been captured for just being a christian just i know people who get in trouble with the law just because they try to teach their kids at home or people who are in trouble with the law because they, they won't get their kids immunized. And, and, and the government comes out against them, and yet they give free heroin needles away and keep people addicted to heroin, and uh, they, 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 they do everything opposite than what they should be doing. But anyway, that's my hobby horse. Forgive me. <laughs> Remember them who suffer adversity, so that's plenty of the rest, as being yourselves also in the very same what? All right, so... Your mind, your heart ought to be touched like, like it's you in those bonds or in that adversity. And that's the kind of heart that Nehemiah had. Now, we're working our way through two books of the Bible, Nehemiah and Ezra, and they're basically two builders. So when I say builder, you probably think of that guy. <clears throat> and, and you think, oh, yeah, Bob the Builder. But, but Bob the Builder is not the only kind of builder there are. There are guys who we, we hire out and they, they do an odd job or whatever. And then there are the big-time guys who build massive structures and, and, and build uh, buildings and, and um, uh, incredible uh, feats of design and engineering. Well, in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, we've seen God prepare a man named Nehemiah to take on a large task as a builder, to actually go to a place that was full of rubble and to begin to rebuild. And so, we're talking about rebuilding. Now, Ezra is going to rebuild the temple and going to, going to, going to create an, a, a place again for Israel to worship God. Nehemiah was going to build the outer walls for a place of protection so God's people weren't being molested and weren't being abused and weren't being robbed and mugged. And, and, and every attempt at them to build their life was being knocked down. And, and Nehemiah says, I've got to build the walls. So... In, in chapter 1, we saw Nehemiah was driven to his knees when his heart was touched with the, the, um, the, uh, the knowledge of the affliction of the people of God over in Jerusalem. When his heart was pierced with the knowledge that those walls, after 160 years, they had not been rebuilt. It drove him to his knees. And we saw what prayer looked like. It looked magnificent. It wasn't like, oh God. It was, oh God, on his knees like a beggar. We saw that that desperate type of prayer, and by the way, it wasn't a once-off prayer, but we saw what a beauty prayer looks like. And this morning, Nehemiah is about to be pushed to start acting on those prayers now. There are plenty of people who will, who will pray about something and pray about something. Oh, pastor, I'm praying about getting baptized. Well, good. But at some point, you got to do it. If you're saved, you're supposed to step up and get baptized. Oh, I'm praying about whether I ought to trade in my NIV and get a King James Bible. How long are you going to pray about something before you do it? Amen. So there comes a time where God just pushes you. And by the way, that's what preaching is for. If he came for me to put a pat on your back 
for me to put a scone in your belly, for me to just make your day great, you came to the wrong church because I'm here to push you. I'm here to get you to say, I need to make a decision. I've prayed, I've, I've been burdened, but I haven't done anything. So when you come to church and you feel a little uncomfortable and pastor's walking up to you and verbally and he's sort of putting that pressure on you, it's not me, you know who it is? It's the Holy Spirit of God. And that's the kind of church you want to be in where you're being forced. Listen, don't go to hell, folks. If this pastor makes you mad enough to finally get saved so I lay off of you, then amen. <laughs> because that bit of push from God can save your soul. All right. The goal is for you to, and me to ask ourselves, what are we going to do? What are we going to do from this day forward in our lives? So let's go and look at a day in the office here, day, Nehemiah chapter 2. Back to Nehemiah chapter 2. In verse 1, <clears throat> it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king, and I had not been before time sad in his presence. So let's just take a look here. It's the month Nisan, not, not the car, okay? They weren't Japanese back then. <laughs> That was a joke. Somebody, come on. Um, Nehemiah has gotten to work on time as usual. And believe me, if he was late for work, he would not have work. Amen. He was, he was on time as usual. He took his place beside the king of the world at that time. What a position he had. And so here's Artaxerxes, and here comes Nehemiah. And he made sure the wine was safe, not poison. Now this is kind of humorous, okay, but I want you to understand. His job was to keep the king's cup full of wine all day long. And it couldn't have been a pleasant job because every time he, he, he took a drink, he wondered, is this the last time I'm going to live? Because if, if it passed his lips, okay, he's alive. Okay, now you can drink it, king. But at some point, anybody who wanted to kill the king and poison the wine, he would get him first. So it must have been an unusual Daily, I wonder if today's the day I'm not going to live. But it was a very responsible job. It made him a, a confidant of the king. Where the king would share things in that relaxed atmosphere with, with Nehemiah. Nehemiah would be asked his opinion, and he would hear the conversations of state and of home with Artaxerxes. Here's a day at the office. Wouldn't you like to have a job like that, huh? No, somebody said no. <laughs> well, I don't know. Not except for the poison. Well, something is evidently wrong. He says now at the end of verse 1, he says, Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. But today was different. Verse 2. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Why is your face sad, seeing thou art not sick? And the king said these words. He said, This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. I know that look. You're not sick, are you? you, you there's sorrow in your heart. Then was I very sore afraid. Now, Nehemiah is visibly sad. And it caught the attention of the king, it caught the attention of the king, and it terrified Nehemiah. Why? Because in the king, presence of the king, and the same is true in your home, around your kids, do you just walk around going, I hate living? Oh, I got so many bills, I just want to go jump off a cliff. Is that how you talk around your kids? Or do around your kids, do you say, how was your day today? Well, isn't God good? Aren't you kind of cheerful around the house when you're normally around the other kids? Now, with your husband, you, it's the other thing. <laughs> but here, Nehemiah knows it's not his job to pull, the king, to pull the king down. He's not paid to come in there, oh, I had a bad night last night. King doesn't want to hear it. You see, Nehemiah could get fired. And um, if, if he didn't fire you, he might kill you. Because in the king's court, there was an atmosphere. And he wanted to protect that. And anybody in there, and the same thing is true in any form of, of, of uh, government, you need people around you who work with you. Don't pull you down. So here he's in, 
and he, I don't know if he planned to go in sad or if it was just so heartbreaking. At this point, it's been four months since chapter one. He has been praying and fasting and burdened, and he's just, it's just got to him where when he's in the presence of the king, the king notices. And whew, what, is, what, is, what does Nehemiah quickly do? He prays, Lord, don't let me die. <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> instead of him lying, oh, I'm not sick. Oh, I'm not uh, uh, full of sorrow. He just went ahead and he risked everything and he told the king everything that was on his heart. He realized, that, I'm sure he was praying for an open door, for an opportunity to tell the king. The king has shared everything with him. Here's his chance now, and he's never done it before. He shares everything that's on his heart. Choose your time wisely when you want to share everything on your heart. And verse 3, this is something that needs to be done. Look at verse 3. And said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, all of the tombs and all of the graves lieth waste and are destroyed? How many of you have heard about these hooligans and these uh, scumbags who go into a cemetery and they knock over graves? That upsets a lot of people. And see, all the graves of his ancestry and his people were all knocked over, were all upturned. You couldn't find where grandfather was, was buried. You couldn't find where grandma or where the aunts or the uncles. He says, this place where uh, the place of my father's sepulchers lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. He says, basically, I'm sad, king, because of Jerusalem. Sad because of a city. I'm sad of a place that lies in ruin. You know, I, I'm going to make some comparisons here throughout this, so don't think this is all just about ancient history. This is about today. You hear of marriage problems, and you hear of people. I remember when I was 11 years old, and I, my best friend was named Jody Boren. Jody was Hispanic. He was from his uh, his dad was was American, was Texan. His mom was from Mexico. His best friend. I think I could ever have. He was a great, great kid. We did everything together. He came to me one day and he says, my parents are getting a divorce. <laughs> I, never, I never heard of divorce. You know, one year later, my dad sat us down and said, your mom and I are getting a divorce. You know, when, when, when something so beautiful as marriage and when, when, when something so good and so clean, so right and so honorable is in ruin. Doesn't it hurt you? That's how Nehemiah felt. He says, this place that was, was our home, was the capital of our nation, which was the center of our culture, is in ruin. It shouldn't be that way. He said, I'm sad because Jerusalem lies in ruin and no one's doing anything about it. Nobody's trying to come in and help the marriages that are falling apart, helping the teenagers who are self-destructing, helping the drunkard and the druggie to get free. Nobody's doing anything about it. Of course I'm going to be sad. Why shouldn't I be sad, he says. By the way, you'd be sad too if it was your family that was falling apart or your city. As I showed you, I was kind of humorous. I showed a picture a couple of weeks back of, of, of a burning city. I said, what if, what if the, the British burned Dublin down to the ground after 1916? And one of the guys in church came in, well, he wouldn't have minded. <laughs> what? And it wasn't uh, Eric, by the way. <laughs> I mean, wow. You know, when you put yourself in the body and you start to think about what the affliction and what the bonds are costing and hurting other people, it affects you. You say, somebody's got to do something about it. Something needs to be done. I think there was a pause. I think he has just, I mean, he's just gone, he's gone right at the juggler vein. He's saying, the most pointed things he says, why shouldn't I be sad? I mean, wow, you just don't talk to the king like that. And I believe there's a pause there where the king's like, wow. And I think that pause felt like it lasted an eternity. Okay? So let's look at the next verse. Verse 4. And that's when the king said unto me, 
for what dost thou make request? <laughs> so what do you want to do about it? I mean, a miracle occurs. The king says, do you, want to do, uh, do, do you have a plan? Uh, 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 is, is this something you want to take on? It's absolutely, breathtakingly marvelous. I, I think at that point, Nehemiah is just asking himself, maybe pinching himself, maybe wondering if the wine is getting to him. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's looking at a king and he's saying, does this king actually, is he caring about my city? I mean, Jerusalem meant nothing to nobody except this little, uh, he, was, he was part of the captivity. And you know, I like, I like verse 4. The end of it, he says, What does thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. You know, nothing wrong with a quick prayer. Especially if you've had a long prayer at home in the private of your own closet. It's great to just say, Lord, help me when you're in the battle. You don't have to say, Stop everyone, I need to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. No, 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 you better have good prayed up time so that you can pray quick when you need it. <laughs> now comes a quick prayer. All that he'd been praying for for months, it's there, now or never. And out came the plan. Look at verse 5. <laughs> then I said unto the king, I think he's just, he's just about to burst, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that I would go to Jerusalem. No, no, watch what he says. That thou wouldest send me unto Judah under the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. You see, there's been a time for prayer, and now there's a time for action. And he says, send me to Judah. Send me back home. I'm not, now here's what he's saying. I'm not just going to up and leave you, king. I'm not stupid like modern. Listen, you owe your boss some time. If you've been hired and you want to quit, you better put in some time and say, how much time do I need to put in before I just resign or I go? Too many people, I'm not showing up for work because I don't like my boss. You owe your boss. I'm not going to get many amens out of this. But you owe your boss the respect of, thank you for hiring me. This isn't really for me. I'm going to go find something else. Do you need two weeks? Do you need three weeks to find a replacement? Amen. You see, Nehemiah is not going to say, I think God's called me to go to Jerusalem, so bye. That would have been the worst testimony for a Jew to have in that court. Amen? And even beyond that, he honors the king and he says, send me. How shall they hear without a preacher, Romans 10 says. And how shall they preach except they be sent? I'm praying for somebody who'd want to go. But you know what? I'm also praying that we send people to the ministry and into starting churches and into uh, different ministries and stuff. Here, this, this man, Nehemiah, looks at that king and says, would you send me? Would you send me into the ministry? I think he's asking. And you know, by the way, when a church sends out missionaries and when a church... Uh, uh, gets behind people, they take on the burden of that person. They actually care about what they're doing, whereas if people are just doing things on their own, there's no body, there's no, there's no family, and that's not what Christianity is about. Everything that's in the New Testament is first founded in the Old Testament. Every picture is fulfilled in the New, but the Old Testament is full of illustrations of how to live the Christian life. So send me. He says, I want to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. I think that's amazing. You think Nehemiah knew? Look, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but Nehemiah is a cup bearer, right? How much technical experience does it take to carry a cup of wine, fill it up, wait 10 seconds, and then hand it to the king? How much experience does that take? It doesn't. But here is he saying, I've got a burden to build a city. But he did have a plan. You know how long it would take? Look at verse 6. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? 
and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. I knew how long he would take. It would have been a no-go if, if the king had said, so how long do you think you, 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 you need? And Nehemiah said, I don't know, maybe forever. <laughs> and the king would go, no, I don't trust you to get this job done. You need a plan. And really, Nehemiah is only asking for a leave of absence. How many know what that is? Another word is sabbatical or a furlough. Missionaries go on furlough every once in a while. That's a good thing. It's not that they're leaving. They just need a break. They just need to go and do something else for a little while, come back or whatever. Every occupation usually has something like that. But here he's taking out some time. He says, I'll be back. I'm not leaving you. I'm not abandoning you, abandoning you, king. I just want to do this job for the people that are there. Now, I started to think about this, and I thought, what an amazing king. I have great respect for Artaxerxes here. In, uh, look there in verse 6 again. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? I, I think that he's actually asking, are you coming back? Look at verse 8. In the, and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, uh, uh, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates to, uh, of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Just, just to have a think for a minute. Ne uh, uh, Artaxerxes trusted Nehemiah. He trusted that Nehemiah would do things right, to actually would accomplish the job, and would come back when the job was done. I think the king so greatly respected Nehemiah, prized him as a counselor, saw him as a benefit to his life. Actually, I think, let me put it real plain, I think Nehemiah was a blessing to be around. Would you agree? And the king was like, are you coming back? I, I don't know if I can go very long without you being around here. Wouldn't it be awful if you didn't come to church for six weeks and nobody noticed? What would that say about you? Now, maybe some of us are just dense and dumb and we don't notice anything. But the point is, if you couldn't be in church, maybe you had to work or maybe you were sick and you weren't there for one week, two weeks, and the people who go, so-and-so is such a blessing, I don't see him at church. That would be a great testimony to have. Would you agree? The king respected him. Wouldn't you like to have a boss who, when you are away at sick, he sends you a text, you okay? <laughs> Are you coming back tomorrow? You know, uh, I think it's amazing the king was going to hold the position. <laughs> he says, all right, I'm going to get a temporary worker in to be a cupbearer, but I want you back right here when you finish. Because usually around a king, you know, if you're a king, you have the whole nation at your feet. You can have anybody work for you you want, amen? And he chose Nehemiah. Now, what did Nehemiah need specifically? Look in verse 7. He says, Moreover, I kept going with the king, and I said, If it please the king, if you agree, then let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah, and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertained to the house, and for the wall the city and for the house that I shall enter into and the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me he asked for four big things he asked for permission to leave his job and to go all the way to Jerusalem for several years he asked for permission secondly he asked for conveyance now conveyance means the ability to get there if you convey something is he says I want you to uh, supply me and all the people are going to go with me with transportation He's asking for horses and carriages and, and carts and wagons. And, and uh, uh, he, he says, I need you to get us there. It's a long walk, a thousand kilometers. Amen. <laughs> he says, I need you to supply transportation. And I need supplies. And I'm sure he came up with a list like 100 tons of cement. I need 400 trowels, 200 sledgehammers, 400 shovels, 200 tons of barley seed, 20 large wood saws, 100 precision chisels, 200 horses, 100 wagons, and coupons for McDonald's. 
along the way. You know how it is? It's behind the list, by the way. I didn't find that. Yes, <laughs> for supplies. You know, hey, hey, folks, I'm going to go ahead and get ahead of myself. Do you ever feel embarrassed asking God for what you need? Go ahead. Have a list. Lord, I need this and this and this and this. That's courage. Going before a pagan king who doesn't believe in the God of Israel and ask him for everything you need. That's courage. Hebrews 4.12 says, Let us come boldly, courageous, under the throne of grace, that we may find mercy and grace to help in the time of need. So he asked for supplies, and he asked for one of the things. He asked for authority to do what he was asking to do. He says, I need your authority, because if I just start showing up down there in Jerusalem, nobody's going to follow me, nobody's going to listen to me, because I have no authority. I'm doing it of my own self, which is how most people live today. You need to be under authority. It's good to be under your pastor's authority. It's good to be under your parents' authority. It is a good thing to be under the government's authority. Not everybody does anything right, but you know who God blesses? Those who work with their authority. Amen. Surprise, surprise, the king gave it all. The end of verse 8 says this, And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So the king gave it not out of the goodness of his own heart, but because God was in control of the king's heart, as he is. By the way, if you work with the authority, God then can work on your authority. Amen. Ladies, that'll work at home. Amen. You ever wonder why your kids are so out of control? Maybe you're out of control towards your husband. Oh, we got quiet. Amen. You work with your authority, and God can work on your authority. Amen. The heart of the, 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 the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as rivers of water. They've done some uh, aerial photography, and they go over rivers there. And I don't have an example. I should have thought of it, but I just thought of it now. They take pictures of a river. And you notice something over years? That river changes its curves over years because landslides and dirt falls in, and so the water just goes this way. You know, the Lord puts a little pressure that way, the king will go that way. The Lord puts a little pressure this way, and the king will go that way. God knows how to fix your king and how to adjust things so that it all arrives just like the Lord wants. So the king granted it because God was in control. By the way, all the kings of Persia, since, since back with Cyrus, had miraculously granted the Jewish people their freedom. King Cyrus says, you Jews are free. You can go home. Now, that was 160, no, sorry. That was, uh, uh, at this point, about 90 years earlier that they were free. Cyrus had also restored their worship. The temple was allowed to be rebuilt. The entire set of Jewish sacrifices, which was unheard of, that they would be allowed as a special case to have their own form of worship and not the de facto standard of the government. You know, most countries, up until recently, if you went to one country, everybody was Lutheran. Went into another country, everybody was Catholic. Went into another country, everybody was another way. Everybody was Buddhist. And here was a little conclave, a little spot on the map, and they got to be Jewish. It was a miracle. You know, it is a miracle we live today where there is freedom of religion, but it won't last very long, I'm afraid. And it'll be by God's good hand that we still are allowed, 20 years from now, to have a meeting like this. You better soak it up. You better protect it because it's going out the window. They had the freedom for their Jewish sacrifices. The priests and the Levites were exempt from taxes. You say, well, that's unfair. we got to understand, there was no money. These people were going back to, to, uh, uh, to Judah, and they were there, there was no way for them to, to serve God with so few people. And you know what? Ezra said, let the priests and Levites be tax-free. You know what King Cyrus said? No problem. So that they could serve and do things for free for people without the burden of taxes. It's where a lot of clergy are still tax-free because of that principle from the book of Ezra. In spite of the abuse, by the way. And here now, they're allowed to rebuild their city and the best part of it all, Artaxerxes is going to pay for it. <laughs> That's God. That's God. And he writes, he says, the good hand of, not the God, my God. 
do you talk about God? Did you ever get around people at work or when you're in, in the shopping center and you're having your coffee and you go, my God has supplied all my needs. You ever talk like that or you just talk about him like he's way off in the distance? Here's, here's a man who says, my God, the one I worship, the one who loves me and knows my name. So, Nehemiah sets out for Jerusalem. Verse 9 goes on. Just, just, we're going to stop here. I'm not finished with the message, though. I got to stop here. Then I came to the governors beyond the river. <laughs> I mean, this guy was able to get going right away. Boom! He heads off, and he heads down to Judah, Jerusalem. And most of us, if you'd be honest, most of us would have so many issues to have to get in order before we could do any kind of ministry. Like getting your wife's permission. Can I serve God? No! <laughs> I would never treat my husband that way. You may not say it. How about getting out of the debt that is forcing you to work two jobs? Did you ever notice how the devil's real good at getting Christians in bondage so they can't serve God? By debt, <laughs> by marriage. <laughs> Marriage is supposed to be a blessing, by the way. Some people need to get their kids out of every sport commitment imaginable so they could do something for God. And the list could go on and on and on. How free are you, Christian? Are you able to just go and do whatever the Lord would burden you to do? And I'm not saying for you just go and do it tomorrow. But the Lord burdened you, and you spent months preparing and planning and wondering, and when the door opens, are you able to go through it? Or you say, oh, I'm, I, I, I still got 30000 in debt. I got to I gotta take care of that or else I lose the house. You see how it works? Well, there are principles here, and I'm going to tell you there's over 200 life principles in the book of Nehemiah. A hundred of them relate to just leadership, but 200 of them relate to normal Christian living. I'll show you Nehemiah and his testimony. <clears throat> Nehemiah was faithful as another man's servant. Everyone wants to work for themselves. That's great. But God says to learn to be faithful under your parents first. God puts you there first, amen. God says to be under an employer, and maybe one day if you're faithful working for someone, you can be free to work for yourself. <clears throat> be faithful as another man's servant. Secondly, work hard on the job. I've had the privilege of hiring and firing people, and I say privilege because it was the best thing to get rid of sometimes, some people. But you know who we always, if, if you've ever known anybody who's ever done any HR of a small business, I'm not going to talk about the big businesses, but a small business, it's live or die. And when you have somebody who, as Brother Dennis taught me, the word glugger, and somebody's just, just dead weight, doesn't show up on time, doesn't care about working hard or whatever, not a hard worker, it is all right to fire him. Amen. Don't you be like that. The best testimony, the best workers where you work ought to be Christians. Your boss ought to look around, and when he's trying to find somebody to let go because of cutbacks, he say, I can't let so-and-so go. They're the best worker. Amen. He worked hard at his job. He was faithful to worshiping and obeying God. He didn't blend with the Persian uh, lifestyle. He didn't go do the Persian rug at the disco. He didn't do the Babylonian bop. You have to start laughing at your pastor's jokes. He, folks, he kept the faith of his fathers. He kept the faith of Israel so that when he had the opportunity to go back, it still burned brightly in him. You may have to go to college. You may have to move out of house. You may be someplace for a little while where you don't even have church for a while. There's nobody around to even preach the gospel. But your own Bible study, your own personal walk with God ought to burn bright. Amen? That's what Nehemiah had. He had a faithful worship and obedience toward God. He was trustworthy. He had integrity. Listen, I'm giving you things that are more important than a 60,000 euro university education. I know people who have graduated from four years at UCC and they're flipping burgers. But 
you tell me education is the key. You know what the key to your success is? Hard work, integrity, uh, honoring God, um, uh, faithful, under, under, under people. I'm not taking orders from you. Bye-bye. What I say, he was trustworthy. He allowed God to touch his heart. He stayed soft. When God touched his heart, it crumbled him. He didn't resist it. I, Brother Dan, the thing that I come into church and I pray and I passionately pray before church begins, I says, God, give me men and give me grown-up women who have soft hearts that when I preach, they don't get mad at me. They get mad at themselves and they get mad at the devil and they get mad at the flesh and they say, you know what? I don't like what you said, but you're right. Because if there's something you need on a Sunday morning, it'll be, it'll be demonstrated when God touches your heart. Don't you look at your wife and go, well, hit her again, Pastor. I'll hold her. <laughs> he became burdened about more than a cup of wine. He was a man of prayer. By the way, he didn't just start praying in chapter 1. I believe it was a life of prayer. That was just, it just culminated, it climaxed in chapter one. And here's a great truth. I thought about this and I was blown away. He spent his downtime wisely. What do I mean by that? Here was a poison checker. That's all he is, all right? And yet he was, he was ready to take on the management of one of the biggest jobs anybody could ever imagine, rebuilding the walls of an entire city. Evidently, Nehemiah was more under the hood than what could be seen on the outside. Evidently, this man was a student of construction already. He was a student of teamwork. He didn't think he could do it by himself. He was going to take a huge crowd down with him. He was going to work with the people down there. This was not a one-man job. He was a student of teamwork and management skills. Here was a cupbearer who could plan and prepare for something bigger than just where he was at the moment. What do you do on your downtime? Well, I, I uh, play the Xbox, okay? And you wonder why you're still working McDonald's? Well, I, uh, I, I binge watch Netflix. Yeah, yeah, I know. And you wonder why you're, you're not getting where, I'm gonna tell you this, on your downtime, you need to read books. On your downtime, you need to take night classes. You need to work your butt off now because it's only going to get harder later. Amen. He spent his downtime wisely. Under the hood of Nehemiah was somebody who was prepared to be a manager, to be a, a construction management a leader of the biggest scale. Now, he wasn't going around boasting about it, but it was in there. And it wasn't like a prodigy. Oh, I've always known this since I was two years old. No. He had developed and had his downtime was not a wasted. And when you've got, so I'm between jobs, go to class, take courses, develop a, 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 uh, a skill or two or three, work alongside somebody for nothing. I told you I wasn't going to get many amen. Because I'm telling you, that is success and not your laziness. Amen. He spent his downtime wisely. He honored his employer. He didn't come along and say, by the way, boss, I got something better to do. And uh, if you don't see me, you don't see me. Whew. He honored his employer. He waited for the door to open before charging ahead. And there's too many hotheads who will just say, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to marry her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and we're going to move here and we're going to buy that. Really? Really? Is the door open? Did God open it or did you shove it? <laughs> I'm going to go through this door. Sometimes you need to wait for the door to open. I mean, he didn't come in there and say, I'm going to tell you what I want. <laughs> he waited when the king said, everything okay? Yeah, I was waiting for the opportunity to tell you, boss. <laughs> I mean, I, let me say it all and then you can give out to me, but this is my heart. And he waited for the right time. He had a plan. He'd already... He had a plan. Instead of griping and complaining how his life was on standstill, how he was in standby, how nothing was happening, he made plans. It's a good thing. He trusted God. He didn't tell 
Artaxerxes what to do? He asked. And you know, that's where you're saying, I trust God, I ask you. And then when the door opened, he got busy right away. You know, it's funny, all of those things will work for us too. Every single one of them. Christian, you be faithful as another man's servant. You work hard at whatever you do, paid or unpaid. Be faithful, worshiping and obeying God. See, I didn't get anything out of the message last week. Be faithful. You'll get it next week. Something will come along. Be trustworthy. Integrity, character, and honesty is worth more than a million euros in your pocket. The fact that somebody can trust you can... The fact, listen, it used to be, it used to be that men wanted to be trusted. The worst thing a person could ever be called was a liar. Now nobody cares. I think that's a good list for us to work on as, as, as men and women of God. I'm telling you, I, I, let me just move on. There are three bigger lessons to learn here and I'm finished. Number one, Nehemiah is showing us how to come before our king. This is not history. This is his story. This is God using a man's experience to show us. And if Nehemiah were here, he'd say, you need to go to God just like I talked to King Ahasuerus. Um. As I already quoted in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If we only had a reason to pray and come before his throne, I think we do. I think we have enough reasons to keep us there for hours on end. Secondly, get and keep a good testimony in this world. It will always pay off. Your university education won't always pay off. Your good looks definitely won't always pay off. But you know what? Character, integrity, honesty, hard work, those character traits I showed you in Nehemiah's life, they will guaranteed always pay off. And don't wait for someone else to do what needs to be done. Usually, it'll be just you. Who has that burden? So don't say, well, I'm sure pastor has the same burden. Maybe I do. Or maybe I don't. And you know, a church is full of people. And sometimes, uh, sometimes people come along and say, oh, this needs to be done. Pastor, would you do this? Wait, 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 wait. You, you see something needs to be done? You're in charge. I don't want to be in charge. Excuse me. That's what a body does. This hand doesn't look at this hand and say, you do it. Don't wait for someone else to do what needs to be done. We're starting up soul winning here in the next few weeks. And we need, we need lots of hands. Don't wait for Pastor to do it. Don't wait for Brother Dan to do it. Don't wait for Miss Nita to do it. Something needs to be done. People need to be won to Christ. People need to be warned of coming judgment. People need to be turned back to God. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. You do it. There's some questions for you. Number one, is there anyone here willing to throw away his or her chances for a great career, to take on the burden of affliction, labor, sacrifice, and abuse in doing God's will? By the way, that's every ministry you ever do for God. If you ever teach in Sunday school, you're going to have some parent get upset at you someday. Well, you didn't honor my kid when he raised his hand, and he's so scarred. Some of you don't understand that, but it's reality. And then there's long hours of preparation, and then there's you're having to fill in for somebody who's not there, and you're doing stuff that nobody appreciates you, and you put your own money into it. You buy the crafts, and nobody thanks you, and nobody pays you back, and you're doing all that. Hey, is anybody willing to do all that just for Jesus? You willing to go to a faraway country, maybe, and lose your life? I have read too many missionary stories of people who got a burden to go back in the old days where it was Arabia before it was Saudi Arabia. 200 years ago, they went to Arabia. And two months after arriving, trying to give the gospel out, their head was cut off. 
a missionary and his wife prepared for years to go to Arabia only two months later and have their head cut off and die in a foreign land. You say, that's not, that's, that's not very successful. You and I don't understand success then because success is doing the will of God. Is there anything, isn't there anything important in your life, anything valuable that you feel like needs to be fixed, that you're looking around saying nobody else is doing it, so I'll get involved. I'll show up there at 12 Weeks to Freedom with Brother Tony, and I'll say, these people need to be reached. I've got to do something. I'm not going to wait on somebody else to do it. I'll be there on, we start in April. I'll be there. That's what, we're, that's what God's looking for. We need some Nehemiahs who will say, there's some broken lives out there. I can't just sit here. If I'm in the body, I can't just sit here and ignore them. To Nehemiah, the ruins of Jerusalem were much more attractive than the splendor of Shushan's palace. What is your heart? <clears throat> I'm always making choices. By the way, the truth is, your life is a product of the choices you've made. And if you think your life stinks, Evaluate your choices. Wonder and splendor of Shushan, the palace, or the rubble of Jerusalem. And if, if I can ask you that, let me ask you the last question. Maybe who has your heart? A lot of people think they're in charge of their hearts, but I ask you to take a good, long, honest look at it and tell me if you have it all under control or not. See, there's only one person capable of fixing the human heart, and that's the one who made it, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize the Lord Jesus Christ had a choice between the splendors of heaven and the rubble of our lives and the waste of our world? You know what he chose? Us. He left the splendors of heaven like Nehemiah in comparison, and he said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written to do thy will, O my God. He came to earth, and the Bible calls him a servant. Philippians chapter 2 says, Jesus, the Lord of heaven, came down to earth and took on the form of a, just like Nehemiah. And as a servant, he humbled himself even to death, and he bled and died on a cross in your and my place. And he was buried, and he rose again victoriously to save from sin. 37 years ago, he saved me, almost 38. You know what, Kathy, it just gets gooder and gooder. If there's anything to learn from Nehemiah, it is that God is in the rebuilding business. Oh, hold on. God is in the rebuilding business. He's in the restoration business. He's in the saving broken things business. And you can be saved if you would only ask him. If you would only ask him. If you would only ask him. Let's take our hymnal and go to hymn number 393. 393, please. Take my life and let it be. 393. 